Scripture reading for this morning will come from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, all the way through 8, verse 3. Luke 7, chapter uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Bob. Well, as you notice this morning... I don't have an outline for you. Did you see that? I got a blank page for you in there. We still have points, and I even bolded some so they look like fill-ins, so you can draw your own lines today. My wife said she was proud of me for not doing one this week. This is what you get. I had a couple sick days this week and was behind and didn't get the outline done in time. She said, I'm really proud of you for being able to let it go. I'm like, well, thanks. So you get a blank sheet today, but that's okay. You can still fill it in and um, keep notes and follow along as we begin. Let me pray for us, Lord Spirit, now. Would you meet us here and impress upon us 
this incredible interaction between Jesus and this woman and this Pharisee as well. Just an interesting and really revealing exchange between this triangle of three people here. Um, Would you give to each one of us the word we need to grow today? In Christ's name, amen. So I start with kind of a hypothetical question today, but it's an important one. And I just want you to think about it as, we, as I ask it. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Now, I don't mean just do you believe in him or that he is Savior or that he died for your sins and, and rose again. I don't just mean believing those things. But do those beliefs, if you have them, do they form the foundation of a heart, the internal you, the deep you, a heart that's growing in a loving relationship with Jesus, a loving relationship, intimacy, communion, presence, face-to-face as we even sung about today. I don't mean have you been coming to church a long time here or somewhere else or part of small groups or Bible study, Bible studies. I don't mean that, but, but has your involvement, church involvement, small group involvement, as your community involvement and life been driven by a love for the people around you? Because of your love for Jesus, has that grown a real love in you for others? That's what I mean. And because of that, a love for Jesus, if you have that, because of that, do you give yourself, like all of the women mentioned in the passage today, there's four of them mentioned, the sinful woman who remains nameless in the final three at the, at the beginning of chapter eight, they're all giving of themselves to Jesus. You give because of love. Do you give of your emotional life and time and reputation, as the sinful woman did, we'll look at first. And then the three women mentioned in chapter 8, do you give because of love of your resources, as they did, to support the ministry of Jesus and the gospel, which would be the church today? Or do you find yourself sometimes, even as I do, a little annoyed or irritable with those in your life, maybe less than love, and maybe you even have that feeling sometimes with God too, maybe? Maybe wanting to enjoy the benefits of Jesus without having to get invested in all the messiness, the messiness that comes with being part of a group of forgiven sinners. It can be messy, right? And now that we've got a fuller definition of that love, I'll ask the question again, do you love Jesus? Well, to help us answer that question today and fill it in a bit, we're going to unpack an equation here today in this passage. Here's the equation. Much forgiveness equals much love. If any, all our math lovers out there today, I'll put an equation up here for you. Much forgiveness equals much love. And I actually want to add to that. It's actually believing, trusting, plus much forgiveness equals much love. I think we add to that equation there. Believing plus much forgiveness equals much love. It's the center of our passage today. As Jesus responds to Simon the Pharisee, now this isn't Simon Peter, the apostle, this is a Pharisee that happens to have the same name, Simon the Pharisee, after the debtor's parable, when he responded to him, he said, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. There's our equation. But he who is forgiven little loves 
too little. We can put our equation pieces even in there. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven equals, she loved much, but he who's forgiven little doesn't equal love. It's actually loves little. That's our equation today. So grab that blank sheet of paper, that blank half sheet there today. We'll have some notes popping up for you. Have your scripture open to Luke 7. As we're going to look at three truths today. First, we're going to look at the sign of the signs of faith and love in the sinful woman. So that's first, the signs. Then we're going to look a little more deeply at the equation of faith and love worked out in the life of this woman and not in the life of Simon the Pharisee. And then third, kind of we're going to look at the power of love for faith and love for all of us. So the signs, the equation, and then the power for all of us. So let's look first at the sign or the evidence of faith and love in the life of this sinful woman. And here it is. Saving faith, evidenced here in this woman, saving faith is evidenced by a love that pours out, pours out earthly security at Jesus' feet. It's a great story here, probably one you've maybe heard before, a remarkable story we have here, one of Jesus' multiple many interactions he had with women, and the fact that they're even recorded, it goes against the custom of his day and age that he was even interacting on such an intimate, deep level with women. It's powerful. We have a remarkable story where at the beginning of this chapter 7, we had a man, remember a few weeks back at the beginning of chapter 7, a man of really high position, the centurion who came humbly to Jesus to ask for healing for his son. Here at the end now of chapter 7, we have a a woman of a really low position. And she comes humbly and full of really great courage to Jesus. So to set the stage a little bit for this story, to get a little context of what's going on here, there was a Pharisee named Simon, as we've heard uh, read in, by Bob, who invited Jesus over to his house for a meal. Maybe he had some curiosity or hope that Jesus was a prophet. At the very least, he might have thought that. But even as Jesus has come to his house, he's been totally slighted by Simon, totally overlooked by Simon. Simon did not offer him the customary things you would do at that time. Uh, the customary foot washing is mentioned, or any other customary greetings. He just didn't do it for Jesus. It'd be like inviting someone over to your house and never offering them a drink. You know, they come over and you just never even say anything. Or you invite them over and tell them, yes, yeah, sorry, bathroom's out of order. You got a luck. You know, we got a out backyard. <laughs> Or coming and serving dinner and not giving them utensils and they're pawing the lasagna at your table. Like, that would be the kind of thing that we have going on here. He totally skipped over all the customs. And now they're reclining at the table, uh, a ground-level table, and they're all usually laying on their, one of their elbows and their feet are all sticking out. Imagine like a spoke, spokes on the wheels. All their feet are exposed and sticking out as they recline at this ground level table. And Jesus' feet are probably what? Dirty. Probably filthy. Sandals. You walk to get places. Dirty, dusty roads, not paved. Filthy feet sticking out at the table. This Simon was intentionally looking over the customs. Well, another custom would be if you invited a public figure like Jesus over to your house, to an official's house like this Pharisee, you would probably leave the door open to the courtyard or wherever they were eating. Why would you do that? Well, you, because he's a public figure, he's going to say some public kind of important things, and so you left the door open so others could come 
and listen, hence getting this other audience there and this woman in particular. But here, as we see, the woman is relegated to standing against the wall. She's not part of the in crowd. Again, I love in the Gospel of Luke, because time and time again, guess what? The outsider becomes the insider to Jesus. The least becomes the greatest. She's against the wall. She has no place at that table. A woman, number one, not respected in that day. And a sinful woman, Luke records, no less. She's more than likely a prostitute, as we'll see in a moment. So from the centurion, this powerful high man who trusts Jesus at the beginning of chapter 7, now way, 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 way down here, this excluded outsider woman who's notorious or infamous in town for her choice of work as a prostitute. And verse 37 lets us know it was a shocking moment as it says, Behold, it says, whoa, behold, lets us know how that the awkward surprise that would have entered that room, the shock and silence that ensued when she had the audacity to step out of the shadows, out of the corner, away from the wall, and to approach Jesus. Behold, watch what happened here, Luke is saying. It was actually a very humble moment, a very humble um, effort on her part, but also bold and courageous. And it must have been a loving faith that propelled her because she risks all kinds of ridicule, all kinds of exposure, I don't know, maybe some kind of punishment even for not only coming, but stepping out and approaching the teacher, the guest of honor. You just wouldn't do that. And she says nothing, as Luke records in his version, but her actions speak at all, don't they? Her actions speak a thousand words. Look at verse 38 again with me. So she comes, behold a woman, the sinner, she comes to the table with this alabaster flask in verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. What's she do? What's the picture there Luke is painting for us? She, she lets down her hair. You heard that phrase, you know, she let her hair down, you know? She, Just let your hair down. She lets down her hair, which was a sign of intimacy at that time that in some Jewish circles would have been grounds for divorce. Imagine that. Pretty strict. She lets down her hair, so she's risking that too. Grounds for divorce. She lets her hair down. She's probably never done this in public in her entire life. Yet she's probably done it a lot of times for men in the privacy of a room. As a working woman, a prostitute. But here, she risks. She lets her hair down. She lets it down. And she takes this bottle around her neck, Luke says. She would have worn it around her neck. An alabaster flask, the text says. And what this bottle would have been like, we found some of them in antiquity. Many of them have been found in archaeological digs. It would have been a a bottle that would have had a long, round neck on it, long, skinny neck on top, and a larger bulb at the bottom, which would have held the ointment. And the the top, the tiny, skinny top, would have had just a really tiny little opening in it. And the tiny opening was there not to let the ointment out, but to let the scent of it out. 
not the actual oil. You'd have to break it to get the oil out. So she would have worn this around her neck, and this thing she would have worn around her neck in this alabaster beautiful flask would have been considered a, a, an object of beauty, an object of desire. Think about it. In a day and age where air conditioning was non-existent, where there was no running water, no deodorant or soap available, (laughs) this piece of property would have been invaluable to her, even as you think of her trade as a prostitute, smell, smell good. And here she takes that valuable image of beauty and desire that's around her neck, and she breaks it to get the oil out. This is something, if that was her employment, this is something that would have, she would have invested in. She would have put money in, and it would have made her money as she was with men, this thing around her neck. In other words, Luke is telling us this was everything to her. This was her everything, what she wore around her neck. And she wipes his feet with it. See, as a woman at this time, and as as a prostitute, her sense of identity, the only power she probably had was her desirability in this culture at this time. Her desirability, her ability to attract. And she's pouring out, in other words then, her earthly security at Jesus' feet. That's all she had. And she's pouring it out. The thing she trusted in, her desirability. She's laying it down to Jesus. Remember, the centurion, the one of high position, what did he have to transfer his trust from? Do you remember that? His own moral goodness. They said, he is a great man. You should heal this man's son. No, no, he said, I'm not even worthy, but please still come to my house, Jesus. The centurion had to transfer his trust from his own moral record and virtue to Jesus. Here the woman has to transfer it from her own desirability and her use of that flask to make a wage. What are we meant to see? We're meant to see that saving faith is not just adding a little more belief about Jesus to your life. It's not just adding like a little pinch of spice to the pot of chili to get, ah, there, you know. It's not just that, but it's finding the foundational thing in your life that you trust, that you love, and transferring that trust and love to Jesus. That's what saving faith is. And that's what we see the woman doing here. And what I love here about Jesus is he doesn't flinch. He doesn't flinch. Here she comes up behind him, Luke says. His feet are dangling out from the table, you know. It's a really intimate kind of awkward picture in some ways. She comes up behind him and he doesn't flinch. How many people would flinch at her? Think about her life. How many people would see her coming and maybe step to the other side of the road because she was just not quite the presentable type of woman? How many people in her life turned their back on her when they would see her coming in the street? He didn't flinch. Do you remember growing up, the hand slap game, where you'd have someone... Why two grown men decided to put a picture of themselves on the internet of hand slapping game? I don't know, but that's the one I found. <laughs> really the only one available. 
And the guy on the left is a little too happy to play this game, it looks like. <laughs> the hand slap game, you remember it though. You would have your hands and someone would put their hands underneath yours and the object was to get away without being touched before they do the, remember the little, real quick, you kind of slap their hands and your object, if you're on top, was to get them away as quick as possible. You would think as the woman came to Jesus, that he would respond with like the man of the hands on top. She'd come and he'd touch her. Ah, he'd, he'd pull away. He'd pull away as quick as he could. This woman's coming to touch him. She's also a prostitute. And what a shameful display of weakness and emotion. And he doesn't flinch as she comes with her hands. He doesn't pull away. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't pull his presence back from her like that game we all used to play as kids when somebody would come and pull really quick away. Or as you think about your own life, how many people have recoiled from you or flinched or pulled back from you because maybe they found something out about you or you said something and they wouldn't forgive you or they found out something they don't like about you or how many people have pulled back and flinched away from you? Well, how many people have we done that to? We've all done that. We've all had that done to us, and we've probably all done it to others. Pull back. Maybe it was a parent, a teacher, a boss, a friend, the people who were supposed to be the steady rock in your life recoiled and, and flinched and moved back as you came near. Here Jesus doesn't flinch. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, he looks eye to eye with her to comfort and affirm her. Look at 47 with me. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He told her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is so kind He gives her the very thing she needs, an affirmation that her her love has finally found its true home, her acceptance, her worth, her value, her forgiveness. He's so kind to her. He gives her the thing she needed, that she's been forgiven and and she's safe and and accepted. You see the equation in Jesus' words. She believes, she knows, she trusts, she loves, and therefore she has realized how much she's been forgiven, and so she loves much too. And as she comes, she wipes his feet with tears of joy. She believed. She knew she needed lots and lots and lots of forgiveness. For her, it was really obvious and in humility, risking the rejection of not just Jesus, but the entire room, and maybe even the community, as word would have gotten out what she did, she risked rejection and comes. And she evidences a saving faith. Faith is evidenced by a love that pours out earthly security at Jesus' feet. Like the women of chapter 8, Women who had been healed of disease and demons. Mary Magdalene, you've heard mentioned, who was healed from seven demons. And, and Johanna from the palace, this high and low status again. And Susanna, how do they show their love? Luke records, they gave. They poured out their earthly things and stuff for the mission. Much forgiveness realized, much love given. 
Their ground of status, these women mentioned here by Luke, these four women, of status of money and prestige and power and influence and security and safety, they show us what true love is. That's why they're here. It's not less than a feeling. I want to be careful. Love is not less than a feeling, but it's also more. It's a deep, connected relationship that drives everything we do. That's why I started with the question, do you love Jesus? An attachment to Jesus like branches to a vine. What drives us? What drove them to pour out their earthly security at his feet? Love, forgiveness. And not only forgiveness, but what was on the other side of that forgiveness? So we looked at this, the sign. The sign of faith and love. Believing plus forgiveness equals much love. Let's look at the equation a little more as we look at Simon the Pharisee's response and Jesus' words in our second truth. Here it is. Those who know they are forgiven much, love much. That's the equation. Those who are forgiven much, they love much. So who is this guy Simon? This Pharisee. He was probably, in contrast to the woman here, he was probably a pretty good guy. And on some level, he wants to check out Jesus, maybe even become a supporter of the mission of Jesus. And so he invites him into his house. And I mean, he shows him at least a little hospitality. He overlooked the whole foot washing thing, but at least he fed him a meal. So there's some level there. Look at verse 39 again, though. Now, when the Pharisee, that Simon who had invited him in, saw this, that interaction with the woman... He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon's thinking this in his head. You see, Simon had come to Jesus on some level, relatively good, invited him over for a meal, some hospitality, but he'd come with just a a rational, logical, or possible belief in Jesus. Okay, maybe maybe he's a prophet. We know at least he's thinking that, because he said, if this man was a prophet. And he says, I'll I'll give him a chance. Come on over, Jesus. But then they got to remember, Simon too is watching this exchange between Jesus and the woman. And as he stood there, maybe one of Simon's servants was going to run over and grab the the, the woman and pull her back. But he intervenes because he just wants to watch Jesus scold her and kick her out. He should know who this woman is. But then how quickly you see he turns and dismisses Jesus in the verse I just read. How quickly he does that. If this man was a prophet, he would know this woman's reputation. He would know where she's been, what she's done, who she's touched. And now she's touching him. And he didn't do that. His His greatest thought, doubt, was confirmed. And so in both a sense of contempt and maybe even a little bit of pleasure, his appraisal of Jesus was vindicated. See, this guy knows nothing. He knows nothing. He would recoil. He'd flinch. He'd pull back from this woman if he knew who she was. He's got a stunning lack of discernment. If he was a holy man, he would know better. Oh, but Simon, Simon, so much more than a holy man is in your house. He's God. He's Jesus. He's God. He's Messiah. And as they question in verse 49, wait, wait a minute. Who is this who can forgive sins? There's our proof. Jesus is, he's God. 
Because only God can do that. Any good Jewish person would know. And so Jesus tells this little parable here. He loves to tell it in stories, doesn't he? Stories that would have been on the, the ground level of someone's life they could understand. And it's understandable for us too. All of us have been in debt at some time probably. On some level with a car or house or credit card. I wouldn't advise it. But they are here. So he tells this parable. Two people had debts. And both of them are substantial debts now. We have to be careful. One's not a penny and one a thousand dollars. No. One's probably like 50 days worth of wages. And one's like 500 days of working debt. So they both have a substantial debt. One's just bigger than the other. And the money lender comes in Jesus' story and forgives both. And he says, Simon, who will be more grateful? And Simon knows he's kind of caught there, doesn't he? Hmm. Uh, it's kind of obvious. I think I know this. And he says, well, I suppose the one who knows they have a larger debt. And But what's so wonderful here about Jesus is that in this little exchange, he addresses them both. Did you catch that in verse 44? I think Bob even read it in a way that made it really stand out. Verse 44, look, he's then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he goes on, you gave me no kiss, all these things. What's he doing there? So, so he's, he's, he's kind of looking over here, talking to a woman and yet addressing, you know, it'd be like if I looked at Karen and said, you see Karen, or you see Adrian, this woman over here? I'm talking to Adrian over here, but I'm looking over here at Karen. That's what Jesus was doing. He's looking at the woman, but yet addressing Simon. So on the one hand, we expect Jesus to recoil from us, like the ones whose hands were on the bottom of the game. Expect that. Recoil in life like others have from us. But he doesn't. But also tend to think, we also, I think at times, tend to think, of God, though, as you think about that game with the one uh, the hands on, 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 on top, right? Or on the bottom, excuse me. The one, like he's going to slap us and hit us. We can think of him as recoiling, but we also can think of him as the one on the bottom, getting ready to slap us, waiting for us to mess up, slap us around a bit. Ah, you got caught, slap. But he's not here even doing that either. But you see we're here with Jesus. Do you see what he's doing? He stares at her and he makes eye contact with her and he looks at her in the face right as he's talking over back to Simon. He's staring at her. I think what's going on here is not only does Jesus love her, but he wants her to know, like, I like you. I'm glad you're here right now in this room. He's looking right at her. I not only love you, but I, but I, I, I like you. He stares to look at her while he speaks to Simon, and both are uh, addressed. And can you imagine when she caught his eye and he's looking at her? He loves her. He likes her. You know, I often think we hear God loves us so much that the word has kind of lost its powerful force or meaning. I mean, other languages have multiple, multiple words for love. We have just love. And you hear it so much, maybe, even if you grew up in the church especially, oh, God loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, that you hear it, and it kind of bounces off you like the childish, childish phrase, remember, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. We hear that, and it just, yeah, God loves me, yeah, I know. It bounces off us. But what about the word like? I really like having dinner with my family and hearing about their day. 
I really like playing guitar. I really like reading a good book. I really, really like a good cup of coffee in the morning. What do you like? Like can carry with it, even sometimes in a way that love doesn't, a sense of, of, of delight, of joy, of happiness, of pleasure, of, of preference. I like this over that. And sometimes hearing love so much, it gets the idea that it only carries with it the sense of obligation or duty. Have you ever felt your spouse or your kids or even God just loved you but didn't really like you? A kid, a kind of a, a tolerated you out of duty or obligation? When Jesus looks at her, he not only loves her, he likes her. He's glad she's there. When Jesus looks at you, he not only loves you, he, he, he likes you. He delights in her when he's criticizing Simon's lack of love and faith. What's he doing? He's looking right at the woman. He's staring at her in her eyes. She knows the forgiveness comes from, from love and, and, and like, and Jesus lets her know it in that moment. It's not just a cold forgiveness he gives her. Because that, I mean, okay, that would be good. Just a wipe the slate clean, you've got a great, you've got a forgiveness. No, but he just gives her not only the forgiveness, but the joyful presence of his face as he looks at her while he speaks to Simon. She has anointed me. She has kissed me. She has cleaned my face or feet. He actually likes her. There was an old clip from the 80s. You maybe remember it if you... Uh, well, you may remember because it's sort of become kind of meme-ish, like a meme. There was an old clip from the 1980s Academy Awards. If you remember, Sally Field got up and won an award, and she stood in front of all her peers and said, you really like me. You ever seen that clip? She's like, you like me. You, I, I, this really shows me you like me. The camera kind of panned over to John Malkovich at that moment. He's kind of like, okay. Like he's like kind of trying to support her, but he's also like, this is a bit too much uh, emotion here. You really like me. Here with Jesus, it's real. And if, imagine if, if getting an award from your peers could make you gush, you really like me. What will it be like when the, the creator of that world looks at you and he's glad to see you? Not only loves you, but likes you. That response would be appropriate. You really like me. Simon must though have been thinking, she's disgraceful. You want me to act like her, Jesus? As he responds, look, she did the things. She showed me. She showed me you love. Simon must have been thinking, yeah, total disgrace. You want me to act like her? Yes, I do, Simon. Why haven't you been doing these things, Jesus basically says to Simon. Why have you not been doing this? And this is a little bit harder for us as men to get into. It's a little bit harder for us as men. Because there's this really intimate uh, interaction here with Jesus and this woman. But yes, Simon, this is the kind of faith that transforms you. This is the kind of love that transforms you. Yes, Simon, you should be doing the same thing. Simon, when the moneylender forgives the debt, it doesn't just poof into the air, does it? No, what happens? The moneylender has to bear the cost, doesn't he? Simon, see, you think I'm a prophet. 
And that by having me over to your house for dinner, it's going to gain you some kind of status or it'll show you the right way to live. No, no, no. She knows that I came to bear the cost of not living right. The debts, right? Simon, you've come by compulsion or self-interest. She, she's come out of just attraction for me. She loves me. Do you see the difference in the two responses? You see, we have to come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus with this desperate need of the woman. That's what he's showing us. See, Simon, you don't think you really need me. You would never let your hair down for me, Simon, would you? You just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. It's too uh, disrespectful. It's too, uh, it's too looked down upon. It's just too much display of, of emotion, like John Malkovich looking at Sally Field, like, oh, Sally, get it together. In the clip. I would have shown it to you, but her dress was a little bit too risque. I'm like, that's eh, not Sunday morning stuff. So if you want to find the clip, you can find an 18-second version of it online. It's kind of funny anyways, uh, just to watch. But you know, you're, that's how you're looking at her, Simon. You'd never let your hair down for me, Simon. She doesn't care what anybody else in this room thinks right now. The thing that mastered her, the thing hanging around her neck, she's poured it out. Her concerns are poured out at my feet. She's let her hair down. And this new faith, this desperate faith, takes her into love. Love. So where does the power for this kind of life and faith come from? Maybe you want that. Maybe you kind of have it, but you're like, how do I get more? Where does the power for this kind of life and faith come from? It's our final truth today. To see Jesus also pouring out his life unto death for transgressors, for sinners, for you, for the outsider, so the outsider can become the insider. Do you have trouble loving people? I do. Do you have trouble loving people? Do you go to growth group or your DNA group or Sunday morning, and sometimes does it, does it just feel like you're going out of sheer duty and willpower rather than the sheer delight of getting to be with other Christians and worship Jesus together? Do you ever feel that? I know you feel it. Some of us came here on today feeling like that. I guess we're going to go. You really want to go? Uh, all right, we'll go. All right, okay, we'll go. We can, how, how quick can we get out of there? Right? I know, we, I, it's just the way we live. It's life. That's the test for yourself. That is how you test yourself. Do you do the religious stuff out of obedience and attendance and duty and drudgery, or do you find some pleasure in it? Do you delight in it? Like Jesus looking at the woman. I'm so glad we get to be together. I like you. I love you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came out of the shadows and came into the, the, the light. That's the test. Do you revel in it? Do you let your hair down? Do you pour it out? Or are you just not trying to get slapped by the hand as you come in God's presence or with his people? How do you get more of this faith and love? You look at Jesus pouring out his life unto death for you. And to the degree that you see that you're not only sinful enough, that the creator of the world, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, you're sinful enough, I am sinful enough that he had to die for me. 
The creator of the world, the one who made the woman, now looks at the woman because he knows he's going to redeem her and die for her. The degree that you see that, Jesus being poured out into death for you, you know, Isaiah actually told us that's what Jesus is going to do. As he talked about the suffering servant in chapter 53, he was poured out. Kind of like that ointment. Kind of like her tears. Yeah, she gave up something, but really, in the grand scheme of things, how important was that alabaster flask? She gave up some earthly comfort, yeah, and security. But think of what Jesus gave up. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, even though he was the innocent one. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. And not only see that, but that he loves you and that he died for you. But if you're one who has believed, trusted, realized much forgiveness, the equation, remember? He not only likes, loves you, but he likes you enough to do it. What did Hebrews say? He went through the cross, not just because he wanted to give us the blank slate and forgiveness. Sure, that's important. But he went through the cross. Do you know what the, it goes on to say for the something set before him? Do you know it? The joy. He went through it for the joy set before him. What was that joy? Not only pleasing the Father, but then on the other side, he would get reunited with us. He not only loves you, he likes you. For the joy set before him. See, she loves because she knows she's been forgiven much. Simon, let down your hair. <laughs> let down your hair. Find the confidence in Jesus being poured out for you that you let your hair down a little bit. So what flask are you wearing around your neck? What's the thing? What's the thing he wants you to pour out? Because all the security, all the love, all the likeness, everything you could ever need is found in him. What is it? Pour it out. He's worth it. Pray with me. Lord, we want to approach you in an unashamed faith like this woman. So many things can get in the way. So many treasures that we've placed too much hope or trust in. The alabaster flask hanging around our neck. And Jesus, the only way forward into deeper loving relationship that transforms us from the inside out is to see you go, walking the path ahead of us. And so I pray each and every one of us today would take a step closer to you, a step closer in the way we experience your gaze, your love, our connection with you, and that that would drive our response to each other our response to you even as we sing now. Those who trust and believe and have been connected to you and know that connection comes through much forgiveness equals those who love much. Let us see that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.